Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy and Joel, and you're listening to Revive Thoughts. Now, this has been my habit. It was not my habit for the first two years after my conversion, I admit. But it has now been for 69 years my habit to act according to this verse. Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they delivered. Today, we're listening to a sermon preached in 1897 in Bristol, England by George Mueller. I love George Mueller, Troy, mainly because he is our... The, our first ever Revive Thoughts episode, episode number 0001, was <laughs> about George Mueller. So he has, he always has a soft place in my heart because that was our first thing that we produced. He was. And it, and it just, man, I remember when we listened to those test episodes for the show Revive mm. Thoughts. We were sending them to people. And I remember when that first episode of Revive Thoughts, George Mueller came out. And I was like, this is perfect. This is the stuff. This is what we were envisioning all along. Granted, it would be like another full year before the show was officially ready to be produced, but it was still very exciting. And George Mueller also was the first guy to make me go, whoa, I don't know my church history at all like I thought mm. I did. My my Bible college education had not taught me the lives of these people who had lived before, and it was a real game changer. Uh, so we've done two on Mueller? Have we done? That's right. We've done one more since then. That was about a year and a half ago. I remember because it was being recorded right as I was heading to Cambodia. And I actually found that George Mueller was a deeply encouraging person to study as we were getting ready to leave Mm -hmm. because George Mueller was all about go and trust God to take care of everything financially for you. And that was very much the boat we were in. And the Lord provided us everything we needed. And it was just, I absolutely fascinated. I was like, man, I feel like the Lord put this George Mueller kind of like right in my hands right when I needed him um, the most. If this is your only source of George Mueller information, then you probably need a refresher, which I will give you here. Born in 1805, George Mueller was born into what is now modern day Germany. And he was, he was not, not a good guy at all. Not, not a, not a guy that was raised in a Christian household that, uh, that was submissive. He was a very rebellious man. Uh, a lot of gambling, a lot of drinking, um, very, very mean person. His mother on her deathbed requested to see him and he didn't make time for her. So pretty, pretty messed up dude. Eventually ended up getting thrown in jail, getting arrested. Uh, and his father would come visit him in jail and uh, tried to convince him to go into ministry, you know, go go into this ministry, not necessarily because he loved God, but because it was a steady form of income. When th- and this isn't an uncommon thing. We see this a lot in history. If you want a good job, being a priest or a minister is a rely- reliable, uh, steady, a consistent job that you could rely on that pays well. And so George Mueller uh, sought out ministry to have a stable job, and he would get invited to Bible studies, and, and he talks about going to these Bible studies, and later on, specifically mocking those people at the bar later, you know, chatting with with other acquaintances at the bar. And this all led up to uh, his, his genuine conversion that the Lord uh, was working on his heart, and uh, eventually, finally opened up his eyes to what, what, he, was, what he was studying, and God used that. This eventually led him to England, where he would begin an orphanage movement to help those who did not have parents, obviously orphans. Uh, And there was really no 
system for taking care of orphans back then, the father of modern-day orphanages, is George Mueller and what he starts here. Up until that point in England, if you were an orphan, you went to a workhouse and you were pretty much worked like a slave. You had no one to take care of you. And you were forced, if you wanted to eat, you had to do the work they told you. And that could be pretty much anything. He is famous for having asked for no donations for this work. He would publish his needs in a once-a-year journal. Hey, here's what we're doing. If you would like to give, you know, here's how you can. But that's pretty much all they would say. And he did nothing but go to God in prayer when they had a need. Over time, his orphanage grew to five different orphanage sites, all of which would end up housing and caring for 10,000 orphans in his own lifetime and would continue long after he had passed. There are close calls of running out of money. One famous story was that the furnace meant to heat one of the orphanages in the middle of winter broke. To fix it, they had to take apart the brick wall around the furnace, rebuild the wall, all of which would be difficult and would leave the orphanage just deathly frigid. If a storm or a blizzard were to hit, it, you, people would die. I mean, there's no indoor heating in the middle of winter. These orphans who don't have a lot as it is, it would be a real threat to their lives. They prayed and prayed about it. The money was given to them. They were able to buy the furnace. They prayed that the workers would work really hard and would do what needed to be done. And they did. They, the workers said, we'll stay up late all night, basically, and get this done no matter what. And they also prayed that the Lord would give them good weather. And the wind blew in the opposite direction of the broken wall the entire time it was being worked on. And the day that it stopped, like basically a blizzard came in. And it was just perfectly the way they had to have it work for everything to fall into place. And miraculous needs like these were just constantly being met by George Mueller and those who were around him praying for these orphans and praying for the system. Uh, but there's another specific story I wanted to look at. It's a little bit less famous than some of the other ones, but I still think it's just another cool example of how George Mueller went about his ministry. Yeah, running a, an orphanage, again, as Troy mentioned, is kind of kind of a new thing. And when he got this up and going, you know, he found a lot of success in it. A lot of a lot of children were being cared for. Uh, but he ran into issues with his community. Uh, the, the town that he was in was not very happy with the setup there. And there was actually a petition that they formed to do away with his orphanage. They, they didn't like how many people were there, the noise levels. You know, you have a lot of kids running around screaming like that's, that's louder than what you're used to. There's a lot more foot traffic and stuff than what you're used to. His town did not like the concept of there being orphanage, orphanages next door to where they lived. And this uh, really discouraged George Mueller, as you can imagine. But he didn't let it get him down. He he started praying and searching the area for areas that might be better for uh, a build site, for a new orphanage. And eventually he found a spot, uh, but he had no idea if it was available for sale or, or what the situation was. So he started praying that God would uh, provide it for them, allow them to have this space to build a new orphanage on. When he first asked about it, the the price that was offered to him was astronomically high, way too big for them to afford. But it was perfect. It was away from the city. It had large yards and, and a lot of property for them to develop and do activities on. So he kept on praying. Another problem with the spot was that the government was also interested in it. They had some rail lines that were being constructed, and so they wanted to buy it as well. And they have a lot more money than George Mueller does. So George Mueller continued on with hope and faith that God would provide that plot of land for them. Over time, the, the government agreed, you know, they, they really only needed a, a small sliver of it for their work. They didn't need the whole property. They just needed this section over here for their rail line to go through. And so um, they didn't need the entire property. 
the real estate people that were, were in charge of managing the property eventually came aware of what George Mueller needed the property for, wanted the property for. And George Mueller had, has been trying to contact these people directly to, to have a meeting with them, to talk to them directly without any success. And one day a man shows up on George Mueller's doorstep there, and it, it turns out to be one of these real estate executives. And he said that he couldn't sleep all night long and that the Lord made him toss and turn and think about not giving this land to George Mueller at a, at a lower price and, and the conviction that, that they should uh, accommodate George Mueller's budget. And so they were able to cut the price down way low and allow Mueller to be able to afford it with what money they had picked out. So one of those things where, you know, you see God like supernaturally interceding and going to these people and, and through no logical reason, just through their feelings, uh, you know, convicting, convicting them to offer the property at a much lower price than what they they could probably get for it. Stories like this are rampant in a journal by George Mueller. You can go out and buy. He published it just to show the world what God will do when you turn to him with every need in prayer. In some ways, crazier to me, even than the life that he lived taking care of orphans, he always had a passionate desire to serve missions and share the gospel. When reading Hudson Taylor's journal, I would keep coming across mentions, for example, where he'd be like, oh, and I received some money from Mueller to help me out, which is wild because Mueller needed every dollar he could get. He wasn't asking people for money. And yet while he was doing that, he was still sending some of his own funds over to uh, Hudson Taylor in, in China because he believed so much in the work of sharing the gospel overseas. I mean, usually you don't see other uh, charities, especially charities with such important work as taking care of orphans, sending their money to other charities and other groups of people. Yeah, that was just the life that Mueller lived. He wanted to be able to see missions go out, and he was willing to give his money to do it in any way he could. At 71, though, his his dream finally came true. Mueller was able to actually go and start preaching around the world, which is also crazy to me because how many people are at the age of 71 going, finally, I can travel the world and share the gospel? He would travel 200,000 miles in this 17-year blitz around the world of sharing the gospel in the late 1800s. Him, an old man and his wife, for 17 years, going around the world by boat, traveling to places. And I made a list of all the places they traveled to, sharing the gospel at a time when it's not easy. It's not like hopping on a plane. It's difficult. And yet they went to, uh, from England, they went to the United States, Canada, Scotland, Ireland, Switzerland, Germany, the Netherlands, France, Spain, Italy, Egypt, Palestine, Asia Minor, Syria, Turkey, Greece, Russia, Hungary, Bohemia, Poland, Austria, India, China, Australia, Malacca, Singapore, Penang, Colombo, Tasmania, New Zealand, and Ceylon. Which is a lot of places to go to in you know, your twilight years. Yeah, and he traveled the same way that he lived, right? Trusting God to take care of him, trusting God to ensure that they'd have the money and their needs taken care of. So when they were missing money, they went to God and prayed for it, and the Lord provided for him. Mueller had a way of looking at the Bible as not merely the word of God in doctrine, but as something that should be tested, something that should be lived out. And you see in the sermon that we're about to listen to, he challenges you not just to believe the words, but to live out the words, the promises 
the things that are said in these scriptures, it seems to be shortly after his passing that there is this quote in a newspaper uh, talking about George Mueller. And it says this, quote, The world, doll of understanding, has even yet not really grasped the mighty principle upon which Mueller acted, but is inclined to think of him merely as a nice old gentleman who loved children, a sort of glorified guardian of the poor, who with the passing of the years may safely be spoken of. In the language of the newspaper headlines, as a prophet of philanthropy, to describe him thus, however, is to degrade his memory, is to miss the high spiritual aim of his wonderful spiritual lessons of his life. It is because the carnal mind is incapable of apprehending the spiritual truth that the world regards the orphan houses only with a languish interest of mere humanitarianism and remains oblivious to the extraordinary witness to the faithfulness of God. So Mueller wasn't merely a man who, who did great work, but first and foremost, he believed in God and taught the things of God. And from that, he made his aim to show people how they could follow God with the same faith. The book of Proverbs forms a deeply important portion of the Word of God. It is full of the most precious counsels and advice for all human beings, if they would only give ear. Of course, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will have the greatest blessing through it. But even for those who are as yet do not know the Lord, if they were to attend to what is given in this book of Proverbs, they would find great blessing and benefit, not only in regard to the life to come, but for their stay here on earth. It is full of important instructions. I will mention just this point, for instance. More than once, warning is given against becoming a pledge for other persons financially. Now, very many of us know from our own experience what misery, what exceedingly great misery has come upon whole families because of this. It may be upon several families here now simply on account of signing your name to a bad financial loan. Quickly, inconsiderately, they have become pledges for others, saying to themselves, I won't be asked to pay this money. But before they were aware of it, they were compelled to make good on their name and often and often brought the greatest misery not merely on themselves, but on their whole family. And perhaps more than one family were drawn into this misery. Now God, knowing all this beforehand, through his servant Solomon, warned us not to do it. I myself, in my long life, have known instance upon instance of the greatest misery brought on whole families on account of not attending to this. Now this is just one instance that I mention. But there are numberless points in the book of Proverbs of a similar character, which, because they are not attended to, bring wretchedness and misery not merely on one, but, on, but often on very many. Chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So often, because this was not attended to in the same way as the earlier promise of on pledges, misery was the result. The greatest misery, not only just on the individuals, but on large families. The temptation is, oh, I have a great deal of experience in this kind of business. I know what to do. I know how to act. I know what will turn out best. This speculation started 
and then took over the entire enterprise. And misery beyond description was the result of this thinking. I just mentioned one instance which I was familiar with, the individual involved being one whom I greatly loved. There was a war with China coming on many, many years ago, the first war with China on the part of England. The individual was advised to buy an immense quantity of tea because tea price would rise exceedingly on account of the war. And the beloved dear Christian man said to me, I do not care about this speculation for myself, but I care exceedingly for my own dear brother about business matters. And so being advised by the brother to buy an immense quantity of tea, he took out a loan far beyond his means in order to help his brother out of difficulties. The result was that very soon war came to an end and the tea did not at all rise to what is expected to rise. Instead, because many others had bought very large quantities, it actually decreased in price instead of rising. And this beloved Christian friend of mine lost an enormous sum of money. So instead of helping his brother, he fell into a very difficult circumstance. Now here you see is the word speaking to the opposite effect. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Depend on me for what you need. Look to me for what you need. Do not take the advice of those brokers or any other such agents, but consult the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Do not suppose because you have had a good deal of experience in an area or another person has had a good deal of experience there, that that is all which is needed. But take yourself to the Lord under all circumstances, at all times, under all difficulties, and seek his advice and counsel. Now this has been my habit. It was not my habit for the first two years after my conversion, I admit, but it has now been for 69 years my habit to act according to this verse. And the result is that all has been well with my affairs. I have never been allowed to bring myself into these kinds of difficulties because I have not trusted in my own experience, but have trusted in the Lord. If difficulties arise with our service, when we meet in the mornings, we lay our case before God, tell him in all simplicity our position and ask his counsel and advice. And he does give to us counsel and advice and helps us out of difficulties and perplexing circumstances. Though they are very frequent in our service, yes, there is rarely a day that goes by where something or other doesn't turn up in which we need to be guided and directed by the Lord. And he helps us. He appears for us. I can advise this way of living and acting to all my beloved Christian friends. For the result of it is peace, peace, peace. All the ordinary troubles of this life vanish if we just throw our burden on the Lord and speak to him about matters. Lean not on your own understanding how clearly expressed, how decidedly expressed. Our danger is continually to start leaning on our own understanding, to say to ourselves, oh, I have many times passed through similar circumstances. I have a good deal of experience in these matters. It is not necessary that I should pray about it, for I know very well what I ought to do. And so we bring on ourselves wretchedness and misery, and often not merely on ourselves, but on those connected with us. In all your ways, acknowledge him, 
and he will direct your paths in all your ways. Let us particularly notice this, not merely now and then come to God for guidance and direction, but regarding every step that we take, every business that we enter into, and every new phase of our business, bring it before God and talk to him. Converse with him concerning the matter. That is the meaning of in all your ways, acknowledge him. And the result will be this, he will direct your paths. Never begin anything without going to God about it in prayer. Never take any step without first of all settling the matter between yourselves and God and the result will be you will not speak to him in vain. He loves you. He will direct your paths. He will make plain your way and show you clearly and distinctly how you are to act so you will escape the great difficulties, the great trials and carrying out the measure of light which God will give you. Oh, how precious. Now we have to make sure we do not say, I do not live in the days of miracles. I do not live in a time where there is Urim and Thummim and a high priest who could tell me what to do. For God is willing by his spirit through the Holy Scriptures, even in our day, at the close of the 19th century, to guide and direct us. And in being guided and directed, we carry out the measure of light which God is pleased to give us. We will find how blessed it is not to take any steps directed by our own understanding, but to seek wisdom from God and obtain, obtain counsel and advice from him. The Lord Jesus Christ, among all other titles given to him in the word of God, has one title. That is, he is the counselor, the counselor of the church of God for her benefit, for her instruction. We are naturally ignorant. We do not know how to act, what to do. But if we take ourselves to our counselor, the Lord Jesus Christ, we will find how ready he is to counsel us, to advise us. I have found it so more or less during the last 69 years that I have known the Lord. The first two years, I often, often acted hastily without much prayer because patience was not natural to me then. I would have the matter settled quickly and therefore acted without patiently and quietly waiting on God and taking hasty steps often and often. I was not merely confused, but I brought trouble on myself. During the last 69 years, however, I have acted differently and have therefore gone peacefully along and I've had rest in God. None of those trials through which I first passed after my conversion have been found in my life since because I have patiently and quietly waited on God to guide, direct, and help me. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Naturally, we have often and often too high an idea about ourselves. We are wise in our own eyes. And on account of this, take steps to go forward without seeking the counsel and advice of the Lord. The result is trouble and difficulty. Now, beloved Christian friends, let us especially be warned by this, 
not to be wise in our own eyes because it is too true that we are not wise. If left to ourselves, we will surely take wrong steps and we will surely be confused. Things will not go well. And therefore it becomes to us fully aware of our natural ignorance and helplessness and to take ourselves to God for counsel and advice. That is what we have to do. And above all, to fear God and to depart from evil. Our own ways are so frequently connected with that which is contrary to the mind of God. But if we are not wise in our own eyes, not only will we be guided rightly, but the result will be that taking steps according to the mind of God will lead us to depart from evil. Now, what follows from this? It tends even to benefit the body, if not only gives peace of mind to the soul, but is good even for the body. It will bring health to your stomach and marrow to your bones. Now comes another subject altogether. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. And so will your barns be filled with plenty and your presses will burst out with new wine. I do not forget that the Israelites had special promises given to them with regard to abundance in this life if they walked in the ways of the Lord. Now, though in this present dispensation, we have not the promise to become very rich, to become great men, if we walk in the ways of the Lord, there is still, if we attend to these two verses, blessing coming to us even in this life, even besides spiritual blessing. I have known this in my own experience by acting according to these two verses, I've seen it ever so many times in the lives of godly brethren and sisters in Christ who acted according to these two verses. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. God fills the clouds with rain for the very purpose that they may empty themselves on the land to make the land fertile. And so God trusts his children as his stewards with means not to keep all to themselves, not to enjoy merely themselves, but to communicate out of the abundance he is pleased to give them to their fellow men, those who are weak and feeble and cannot work or through other circumstances are brought into backbreaking, difficult positions and circumstances. This attended to bring blessing not only to the soul, but even blessing of a temporary character, I speak as one who knows all this from an experience in my own case of much more than 60 years. I speak about this as having, through my acquaintance with more than tens of thousands of children of God, had brought before me again and again and again the fact that those who acted according to the principles here laid down not merely brought blessings to their souls, but even as to their circumstances temporarily here on earth, obtained far more back than they had given away. So that not only interest was given them, but compound interest. And in many cases, 20 times, 50 times, and even 100 times more than they had given to the poor or than they had given to the work of God. For God ever sees to it that he is not our debtor, but that we are his debtors. 
Oh, if brethren and sisters in Christ habitually acted according to this verse, how different would their position even in this life and how great the blessing which they would bring to their own souls. Honor the Lord with your substance. When God is pleased to give us temporal blessings, he gives them. Not that on our own persons we may spend the abundance he is pleased to bestow on us, but that we may remember the sick and weakly and help and assist them, that we may remember those who are out of employment, who would gladly work, but who have no work, and that we may care for the widow and the aged widow in particular, and the aged man who can no longer work, that we may remember their necessities and care for them. And the result will be, as I have seen it times without number in my long Christian career, that not only will blessing come to the souls who acted according to this word, but that even with regard to these temporary things, God will abundantly repay what we have given. So will your barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses will burst out with new wine. We may have no barns, and we may have no vineyard to have this literally fulfilled, but God, in some way or another, will make it manifest how he is mindful of what we have given to the widow, to the poor sick person who cannot work, to the poor aged man who is past work. Now comes another subject. My son, do not despise the rod of the Lord. Do not be wary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Often and often, I have found how real, true children of God are discouraged, disheartened, and greatly bowed down because they are so long afflicted. They have forgotten that the very affliction is a token of the Father's love to them. Oh, remember this, because it is a matter not to question. I take God at his word, whom the Lord loves, he corrects. All these afflictions are education to our hearts in regard to our positions and circumstances. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Not how the father treats the son whom he hates, whom he does not care about in the least, whom he despises, whom he may mean to disinherit. Nothing, nothing, nothing of the kind, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Ah, if this were laid to heart by the dear children of God in trial, in affliction, and in difficulty, how differently would they judge their trials, their afflictions, their disappointments, their sorrows, their pain and suffering. My son, do not despise the rod of the Lord. I was once for a good while in a position that I could not work at all because I had overworked myself, overworked myself in service for the Lord and had not been careful at all about my health. For six years, I had never taken a walk in the fields. If the work of the Lord called me to exercise, I would walk eight, 10, 20 miles or more in such service. But if the work of the Lord did not call me to exercise, I would never go out for five minutes for the sake of recreation or for the sake of benefiting my health. The consequence was 
that while before I was able to write 10, 15, or 20 letters without rising from my chair and read for three or four hours at a stretch, I was now so reduced that the writing of one single little note was too much for me. And as for reading, not a quarter of an hour could I stay at all. It was all too much. Under these circumstances, I did not, by the grace of God, despise his rod. But after months and months had passed, leaving me in this state, I began to be weary of his correction. This was the danger into which I came. And I began to ask God not merely to keep me from despising the rod, but not to be wary, to be willing to go on bearing with the way in which he dealt with me. And in the riches of his grace, he kept me from being weary. So after months had passed in this weakness mentally and in the inability of going on and doing what I had been able to do, my health became little by little restored. I obtained the ability of warning my fellow believers to take care of their health. I began to take now and then a little rest, now and then a little walk. And the consequence was I have been able to work far, far more abundantly and have been far, far happier in my soul since I began to care about my health. I mention this warning to those who despise taking care of their health and who go on toiling, toiling, toiling as if their bodies were mere metal and iron. If we wish to get profit to the soul, we need to let the body rest. I state deliberately and solemnly in the fear of God during these last 50 years of my life, since I have allowed myself a quarter of an hour's rest or a little more now and then, God has enabled me to labor far more abundantly than before. And my soul has also been blessed far more abundantly. My son, do not despise the rod of the Lord, neither be wary of his correction. Let this sink into our souls not to be wary of his correction. It does not require overmuch grace not to despise the rod of the Lord, but it requires a good deal of grace when the mental affliction, the rod of the Lord, continues for a long time, not to be wary of his correction. But the will of God is to submit to his dealings with us and his leadings with us both now and always. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. This is a particular word for those under affliction to remember that it is a love token when we are afflicted. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Notice this phrase, in whom he delights. Therefore, it is entirely a mistake to suppose that when affliction, trial, or sorrow is allowed to fall on us, that it is a token of dislike on the part of God. It is all intended as a blessing to our souls because God loves us. He gives us this love token of affliction. Happy is the man that finds wisdom and the man that gets understanding. Now, this is particularly a word to those who are not converted. For finding wisdom means to be brought to the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is the fear of the Lord, to know the Savior, to see that we are sinners, to own that we are sinners, to confess that we are sinners. 
and then to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls, that is the meaning of finding wisdom. Now, before going on any further, I affectionately ask the little company here present, are we all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? God's delight is to make us all as happy as we are capable of being while yet in these bodies. Now, have we obtained this real, true happiness, every one of us, through faith in the Lord Jesus? That is my desire and my prayer regarding all here present. There is nothing to hinder us individually from obtaining the blessing. I was as far from God as anyone possibly could be, but it pleased God to show me what a great sinner I was. I owned it before God, and he helped me to put my trust alone in Jesus for salvation. And so I became a very happy young man, and I'm continuing to hold fast to Christ, to trust in him alone for salvation, and by grace, to walk in the fear of God. I have now been for more than 50 years a very happy man, and so blessing is to be obtained by everyone, for God does not act by partiality or despise this or another one. He takes delight and pleasure in bestowing this happiness on any and every one he has to do with. But there are some individuals who will not have it, who are determined to go their own way, who despise the, ble the blessing which God is willing to give them in Christ Jesus, and therefore they are without it, and they will remain without it as long as they continue in this state of mind. But let us not forget what is said here, happy is the man that finds wisdom. That means happy is the man who comes to Christ. Happy is the man who puts his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, those who have not yet done so will find it so if they walk with Christ and if they will but own that they are sinners needing a savior, then having confessed this, having put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God will account them just and righteous for Christ's sake. God will forgive them their sins for Christ's sake. And this will bring peace to the soul, rest to the soul, and make them happy through faith in Christ Jesus. Happy is the man that finds wisdom. I say once more, wisdom means the fear of God, finds the fear of God. And this is brought about through faith in Christ. We are regenerated, born again, get spiritual life and a new nature by which we hate sin and love holiness. Though it is little and very little at first, and yet we will increase more and more in this. And the man that gets understanding, that is, gets understanding about heavenly things, about his own sinfulness, about God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and about the vanity of the present world and the blessedness of heavenly things, for the price of it is costlier than the price of silver and the gain of it better than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you could desire are not to be compared to her. In this figurative language is brought before us the blessedness of being believers in Christ, the blessedness of having found wisdom, and of having obtained a new nature, spiritual life, justification, and the forgiveness of all our sins. 
the cost of it is better than the cost of silver. That is, whatever we might gain in the possession of silver, it is all as nothing in comparison with getting Christ. And the gain of it is better than fine gold. To have found Jesus is better, better by far than an abundance of fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. Wisdom, the fear of God, obtained through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is more precious than rubies or poles. And all the things that could desire are not to be compared to her. A very large property left to us as an inheritance is nothing in comparison with finding Christ. A very lucrative situation is nothing in comparison with Christ. A very high employment position under the government is nothing in comparison with Christ. All the blessings of this present life, all is nothing in comparison with finding Jesus. Oh, let this sink deeply into our hearts. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. In other words, Jesus is more precious than pearls, than rubies, and all the things you could desire are not to be compared with him. Length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. This is particularly to be looked at from a spiritual point of view. The eternal life, eternal happiness is our lot, is that which we obtain through faith in the Lord Jesus. And in her left hand, riches and honor. That is spiritual riches and spiritual honors because we become the inheritors of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Honors because we will share with the Lord Jesus Christ the glory which, which the Father gives him as a recompense for his mediatorial work as our Savior. We will have the honor with him. He will not have it merely to himself. His bride, the church of God, will share it with him, and therefore we will partake of the honor which the Father gives to him. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. I cannot tell you what a happy man I became when I found the Lord Jesus. I had been seeking year after year for happiness, but met with nothing but disappointment and increased guilt on the conscience as long as I was not a believer in Christ. But when I found Jesus, I became a truly happy young man, and I have been a truly happy man now for 71 years and six months. I have fulfilled in my own experiences what is stated here, that the ways of wisdom are the ways of pleasantness. Numberless persons think it is far from being pleasant to become a Christian. They think if they were to become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they would have not have a happy day anymore. This is the greatest folly, the greatest mistake, for our true happiness begins only when we find the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we do not need to be pitied as believers in Christ, but others are to be counseled to seek the same Lord whom we have found in order that they too may partake of the happiness which, which we have obtained through faith in him. Then lastly, all her paths are peace. Now, if at any time we are without peace, we should ask ourselves, what is the reason? Am I really walking in the ways of wisdom? 
for it is stated that all her paths are peace. If I am without peace, it becomes me solemnly, earnestly, and carefully to look into the matter and see whether I have not departed from the ways of the Lord, whether I have not forsaken the fear of the Lord. If I were going on in the paths of wisdom, I should be at peace. How instructive is all this? Now, my beloved Christian friends, I have been directed after a great deal of prayer to the words on which we have been meditating. And I encourage and entreat you all to ponder again and again and again these verses and to remember the comments which I have made in connection with them for weighty and important matters are contained in these verses. And if attended to, the result will be happiness in a way in which as yet we have not known it. And again, should there be any present who are not yet believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they should give themselves no rest in asking God to show them that they are sinners and that they need the Savior. And when they are brought to know this, then to ask God to enable them to put their trust in Jesus. And what they will obtain will be the forgiveness of their sins and peace to their souls and hatred of sin and love for holiness. God grant this blessing to all of us for Christ's sake. One thing I really like about this sermon is that he builds it off of Proverbs, you know, 3, 5 and on. And I think so often, I mean, you probably heard, you know, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding. You, you may have even memorize some of that and some of the verses past that. But what I really like about this sermon is he starts with talking about how Proverbs is meant to be lived out, how you are meant to apply what you learn in Proverbs directly to your life. I, I know that's kind of a side way to look at it, but I think so often we look at Proverbs as, oh, it's a good book of wisdom. It's a great book of saints. It's a good book of uh, ways to live your life if you can. And Mueller's like, no, their promise is like, do these things, live your finances in this way, trusting in the Lord with all your heart, and then you will receive the promise of refreshment to your bones and healing to your flesh. That is how it's supposed to work. If you do exactly what Proverbs is telling you to do, you will be able to reap those promises and be honored by them because God is more than just speaking his words and asking us to believe in them. But we are supposed to show our belief by living out the words of God. He does that with Proverbs. But Mueller's entire life, like that quote before the sermon said, his entire life is to show us that when you believe God's word and fully trust him, you pray to him, you trust in him with all your heart, your entire life can be a demonstration of God's goodness and of God's witness and his care and protection for you and for all those under your care. Nobody, I, I won't say nobody, but it's hard to imagine anybody in church history who, who maybe lives that life lesson out with such strength as George Mueller does in the way that he cared for so many just through his prayers. And yet he's saying it's for all of us if we would put our trust in the Lord, if we would look at Proverbs 3, 5, it's more than just, I believe that with my words, but I'm going to live that with my life. We could all live as these same examples of Christ's faithfulness to all of us.
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revived Thoughts. Today's sermon was narrated by Jarrett Garber. Special thanks to Jarrett. He is a pastor at Houston's First Baptist Church. If you enjoyed this episode of Revive Thoughts, we encourage you to please share this episode. Tell others about George Mueller and the incredible life that he lived. Go and check out the other George Mueller episodes. If you have not, they're all really good because George Mueller was an incredible person. And we also uh, encourage you to tell other people about our show. Help others to learn about the wonderful, amazing men of church history that they can grow from listening to great edifying sermons of the past and learning about the lives of so many of the wonderful people of God. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts.